There's some rough seas in the Atlantic League, and we got some tight playoff races in the Frontier and American Association. So you won't want to miss this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We're back again, episode number 129 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. We got a lot of interesting things to talk about this week in a week which, you know, it seemed like every day something else new would be dominating the main topic of conversation. And then we arrive at today and we're like, oh, no, we got like four or five different things that are all oh, yeah. worth talking about, you know? I mean, and to be honest with you, I would rather talk about other things than, you know, the thing we're going to talk about today, except for one thing, which we'll get yeah. to in a bit. But I, I think, I mean, because the Frontier League is just pure madness. And honestly, like, I I got to say, I love the Frontier League. It is yeah. so much fun. It is so much fun. And I would love to just spend talking about what on earth happened this week uh, in the Frontier League, specifically in the Atlantic Division, and how everything we said last week has been completely turned upside down. And just talk about the madness that is indie ball, but unfortunately, we got to deal with this, this stuff with the Atlantic League, and it's we got to talk about it. Not thrilled, but we have to talk about it. Yeah, and I guess with that, we should stop beating around the bush. Just kind of dive headlong into this Atlantic League news. Uh, we'll take care of the positive bit first, I think. Uh, I like that partially, partially because it's good to get off on the right foot. And also, I mean, if we're being honest, it's going to take all of about 25 to 60 seconds to get through it. So it just seems like a great jumping off point. So in positive news, longtime independent league guy, uh, Somerset Patriot for a couple of years, Bridgeport Bluefish for a couple of years as well, and uh, David Kubiak, he had his contract purchased by the Texas Rangers. He was with West Virginia prior to that. He's going to be in AAA. I think that's round rock for the Rangers. So positive news there great guy really deserved the opportunity he's finally going to get it and hopefully texas can just kind of bottom out really going into september and maybe he can get a shot to get a major league game or two in there oh I, absolutely i think uh if there really isn't a guy in all of indie ball and, and i know i'm a little biased because uh, everyone knows I'm, I'm a somerset guy and well with somerset out obviously not in yeah. the league anymore rooting for my Somerset guys around the league. Yeah. But I mean, David Kubiak uh, is really a household name in the Atlantic league. And uh, n not all the, not all too different from uh, McGovern out in the American association uh, too. But uh, I mean, just so, so happy for a guy like David Kubiak. I mean, you kind of reached a point here age 32 or like, well, is this, is this ever going to happen? Like, is he, is he ever going to get the shot? that he deserved. And, and luckily he finally got it. I mean, the guy who's put in so much time um, in indie ball has absolutely dominated, not only in it, not only in the Atlantic league, but also uh, in the Dominican winter league, the, which has plenty of top prospects and uh, even major leaguers, even Robinson Cano uh, played in the Dominican uh, winter league this winter. Well, partly because he's suspended for steroids this whole year, but honestly just super happy for David Kubiak. Uh, I can't wait to find out when uh, his his first start in Round Rock is. And, I mean, the Rangers are pretty terrible. 
and looking at the guys who are starting currently for them, uh, I, I, I think, well, David Kubiak could deserve a shot, but we'll see how he does in AAA first. But super, super excited. I was uh, on a very bad news day for the Atlantic League. Uh, this definitely made my heart happy. So big shout out to David Kubiak. Best of luck in Round Rock, and hopefully he gets that shot. And how amazing of a story would it be if he ends up um, getting a, a major league start with the Texas Rangers? That'd be so, so, so exciting. It would really be probably the feel-good story of the year for the Atlantic League. And mm-hmm. uh, you're, he'd, like you said, he's a really good guy. He deserves this at 32. You know, who knows? how much longer he was even going to just keep playing on the indie ball level, but to finally really get that first shot, it's uh, it couldn't have happened to a better guy. That said, we keep talking about this bad news day that the Atlantic League had, and it's only yeah. fitting that we actually start to get into that bad news now. So, Well, Nick, I think I actually have the perfect segue into this because David Kubiak's Atlantic League career ended with an ejection. <laughs> and... That could be the perfect lead into part of the bad news. That is a that is a pretty good uh, bridge right over. Seeing as the first bit of bad news actually happened on Friday, it would have been after we would have normally recorded on a Friday, so we still would have missed out and been talking about it now. But while this may be a little bit old, it's still very much worth talking about. So I'm going to try and give the bones of this, and we'll fill in from there. So last Friday, we had an umpire get ejected from a game. Now, this is something that we don't really see often. And quite frankly, I didn't realize could be a thing until Friday. Now, why did this happen? Well, that's uh, that's a bit more of a loaded area. Now, it kind of started, correct me if I'm wrong, in the bottom of the first inning. It was, I believe, after two outs and a 0-1 count to Paredes. Then... Someone, I want to say it was the West Virginia team president, because it was West Virginia versus Lancaster, the game that this happened in, topped on the field, and then the umpires ejected Kubiak, if I'm not mistaken, then ejected Minikazi, then ejected the pitching coach, and then Lancaster left the field, West Virginia left the field, and the game got put under protest, and everyone was very confused as to what the hell was going on, because understandably... It's the first inning. Everybody just left the field. Three players got ejected for seemingly no reason what's going on. All very fair points. Now, what will come out, and I will just say before going any further, a lot of credit to Hill PB Roundup. He was the one who really oh, jumped yeah. on this and started you know, leading the charge on this. So a lot of the details are from him, and then the rest of it are from, <clears throat> let me make sure I get this right. I want to say it's words above replacement. Yep, Words Above Replacement. Uh, I believe that's the website, wordsabovereplacement.com. has the article on this as well, so you can check that out. Those are the main two uh, initial sources I'm reporting this, so links in the show notes for all that stuff. Um, but more importantly, it came out that the umpire in question, Drew Ashcroft, who's now been removed from the box score of that game, by the way. I'm not sure if that's a... We're going to try and pretend this never happened move from the Atlantic League, or if this is a... He really only umped like... An inning in two-thirds, it doesn't really matter all that much. We can kind of just say this never happened and pretend that two umpires uh, officiated the game. But apparently what had happened, from what we know, is that it, this he was ejected, Ashcroft was, 
from just players refusing to play the game because of an incident that occurred earlier in the year that involved uh, inappropriate language at a particular player. And apparently this had happened to other players in the Atlantic League. So Ashcroft was not supposed to be officiating any more games with West Virginia. But because the Atlantic League uses a third-party system to place umpires, and this system works for many other leagues, it just so happened to place Ashcroft at that game, which obviously took the players by surprise. The team president obviously did not care for that at all because he had told the league in advance that we've had a problem with this umpire before. We're not going to play if we see this umpire is officiating a game. And well, lo and behold, they did not play until he was ejected from the game. Uh, the league seemingly has yet to say anything about this. And it's just kind of pretended like it didn't exist. Like I mentioned a moment ago, uh, they just removed Ashcroft from the box score. And uh, seemingly everything went on. He was ejected. They continued the game. And that was that. Yeah, so just a very, very weird situation. Again, uh, credit to Ryan Schwalm. I, I hope I'm Schwalm. I hope I'm saying that right. He's a fan I, of I this show. He knows. I know how he is. Things. I feel. Re- I would feel really bad if I mis- mispronounced. But just huge credit to him. He was. He was way out in front uh, on this story and uh, with a lot of confusion. And you know, sh- good luck getting anything from the Atlantic League regarding this. Because no, yeah. spoiler, you're not getting it. You're not getting anything from the Atlantic League about pretty much anything. And you're sure as hell not getting anything from this. I mean, given the fact they think they can just erase the umpire uh, in question, Ashcroft, from from the from the box score and just pretend like it never happened. Well, no, we're not going to pretend like it didn't happen because uh, apparently they uh, Ashcroft and. Uh, and the West Virginia Power, they had incidents early in the season. Apparently, there were some comments that uh, were that have plenty of racial language uh, in it. That's that's what that's what has been reported. Um, of course, no. The the one thing that the story kind of lacks is is direct quotes. We don't know it, uh, so I guess it's impossible to to confirm it. But that has been what has been reported. Um, I don't want to, as far as it being not like I don't want to come down too hard on the Atlantic League for assigning this umpire to the game because it does seem like well it's a third party and now the Atlantic League should have done a much better job absolutely yeah. uh, but I and at the end of the day it is a it is a uh, a third party but I mean whatever whatever happened um, it to to set off the West Virginia Power the way that it did I mean I certainly. I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to the players there. I don't think, I mean, you don't see David Kubiak losing his mind for no reason. Uh, and it, it's just really a, a, a sad situation. And here's the thing. When, when something like this happens, it is, it's never a good look for the league, especially when, when it happens and, uh, and when it gets out about what ultimately, what ultimately happened, it's not a good look. But you have to, and this is the larger point of uh, of a lot of what we're going to talk about in the show. The larger point is the Atlantic League just said nothing about it and just let everybody draw their own assumptions. And they're, they're operating under the assumption that people are just going to forget about it. And people are just going to move on with their lives and people are just going to forget about it. 
and act like nothing happened. Well, no, we're not going to do that, uh, especially an incident that, I mean, of course, with, with racist language from an umpire. And by the way, I'm no, I'm no like PR professional. This is indeed what happened in this game. This seems like a pretty easy PR job, honestly. Oh, yeah. Like it doesn't this take. It's so easy. Yeah, it doesn't take much to just come out with a statement saying that we were made aware of this. He was put on a game by mistake through a third party system. After being alerted of the incident, we've removed him and he will not be officiating any more games for the Atlantic League. It's, it's That's not it. really hard. You just remove him That's from the game. That's all you had to say. Yeah. That's all you have to say. And the and the situation and obviously again, it's it's still it's still not a good look, but at, at that point, you're like, all right, the Atlantic League did what they can do. Of course, they did end up removing him from that game uh, in the middle of that game. Of course, I mean, the players straight up wouldn't take the field without it. Yeah. So I guess their hand was kind of forced there. So I'm not going to really give them too much credit for that. Yep. But that's all you had to say as far as um, as far as of a statement to kind of put everyone at ease. But yet time and time and time and time and time and time again, the Atlantic League just says nothing. And this they say nothing about this incident. They say nothing about rules that happened. They say nothing about uh, even last year about like about like the season and the status of the season and leaving players and fans in limbo about everything. And that's exactly what the Atlantic League has done for years now. And it is so, so frustrating for some for for people people like us who love this league to watch it just get such bad publicity. And we'll, we'll get into the second part of it in a bit, but the, it's just an awful, awful incident. And the Atlantic league saying nothing about it just completely makes the situation worse and way worse than it already is. Cause it almost seems like you're condoning it in a way without coming out and saying it. Yeah. And that's, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, it, it definitely appears that way. Also, the more you try to sweep it under the rug, the more attention it's going to get. And I understand to a certain extent of if we don't say anything, it'll eventually go away. Because on some level, that is true in a sense where we'll eventually move on from it. But equally as true, every time we see him umpire a game, we're going to bring this up and we're going to keep pointing this out. They could have just easily taken the easy route. It's in the rule book that there is a code of conduct for umpires as well. And it's at Rick White's discretion for if they cross a line and say something that's inappropriate, which is laid out again in that rule book, that particular section of the rule is in the article we mentioned, which is linked in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. We're, I'm going right from it here. He could just suspend him indefinitely. That is a power that he has. And that's all it would have taken. Suspend him indefinitely. Make the statement. We were previously unaware. We became aware. We suspend him indefinitely. He will not be officiating anymore. That's all it takes. It's a quick and easy solution to the problem. And communication has been an issue. I mean, you'll see, like we'll keep talking about in the second half of this, and in a couple articles that came out today, and Thursday that is, communication is a constant thing that is an issue. And if you don't want to fix that communication, we're going to continue to have issues like this. And I do agree. I think it's not necessarily 100% on the Atlantic League. When you're using a third-party system, all it takes is someone to be absent-minded for a moment, to forget to remove an umpire from a certain rotation, or to have uh, some sort of a bias put into the system to make sure that umpire does not 
match up with certain games and certain teams. That's all it really takes for something like this to happen. At the same time, though, it could have been prevented altogether by appropriate action being taken early on when the complaint was first lodged. That also said, I do want to give the West Virginia Power Organization credit here because their team president, he came down in the field and he was not leaving until the issue was sorted out. And he, it certainly seemed to me at least that he was going to bat for the team and also the West Virginia staff doing the same thing. So I give them credit on that front, even if from uh, the kind of upper front office level, it was uh, we're playing this game and they're not going to play until he's gone. So I need him gone type of thing. Or if it was just a matter of this is right, this is wrong. He's in the wrong. I want him gone type of thing, whichever it may be. He still stood up, fought for his guys and fought for what his team wanted and got it done. So I give them a lot of credit on that front as well. But this is just a situation that should have been avoided entirely. And again, it really doesn't take much to get in front of this. And with the way that the eyes of more and more, I don't want to say important, but more and more major media entities are shifting onto the Atlantic League, you would think an incident like this, you want to kill it very quickly. And the quickest way to kill it is just a quick two-line press release saying he's gone, he will not officiate in this league again. And double and triple checking things like that because I have a hard time believing they didn't know the athletic article and the CBS sports article that we're about to mention were coming. I have a very hard time believing you didn't know that a week in advance. Oh, certainly. I mean, I mean, Rick White was interviewed for the article. So, I mean, he had to know, yeah. uh, he, he had to know. And there's just, there's just nothing. And I mean, some of the, and some of the information, uh, in in these articles are, are damning and uh, and let me just say a lot of it we've spoken about on this show already so part of it uh, of course when uh, and of course a bit, big credit to Nick who was uh, way out in front on this with that kind of grace period uh, with the players in the Atlantic League who wanted to move leagues before the mound was moved back the or uh, or essentially the uh, when the league said that players, if they decided to opt out of their contracts, essentially got blackballed from from other partner leagues. So if you didn't believe us, or if you didn't believe Nick when he said that that's what the Atlantic League was doing, well, now you have two other sources who say that's exactly what they were doing as well. So, um, and it's, again, it's it's awful that, that they were doing that. Um, and I guess... It just seems like, and I'm I'm gonna read this quote, what Rick White said, and I'll tell you how I how I read this because uh, at one point Mark Minakazi, the uh, the manager of the West Virginia Power, said something along the lines of, uh, "We hate all these rules. The player hate all these rules, but our opinions don't matter anyway. Like, and if we do talk about it, and we do say we hate it, we get suspended indefinitely." Um, and uh, and th- this part of the article I'm reading from the CBS Sports article, yeah. uh, which certainly be linked in the show notes. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll when, go into more I, details to what that means in just one second after we get through the quote. Sure. So uh, White dismissed the idea that the league has a gag order in place for its coaches and players. We've never forbid. He said we've never forbidden a, a manager uh, from speaking about any on-field matter, this or any other test rule or existing rule or equipment trial in our league. Well, we have advised all our uniformed personnel, especially our managers and our coaches, 
is when it comes to our the relationship with Major League Baseball, our league needs to speak with one voice, not several discordant voices. I mean, the last part literally just gives gives it away. It oh, gives plus it away. It couples in Are very we- nicely with the end with one of the end quotes from there when he talks about the importance and the value in the partnership itself. Yes. And that's always, and literally the last part gives it away. Our league needs to speak with one voice, not several discordant voices. You literally just said that, that you, you just said without saying it, that managers cannot, that, that people will get in trouble for speaking out against the partnership because there's not one voice because it is not one voice. And who controls that one voice? Hmm. I wonder, I wonder what the one voice is. And th- this is just the problem with the Atlantic League and this partnership over and over and over again that the players can't say anything about it, or if they do, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, and I'm honestly glad that these articles were written. I'm Seriously, I'm glad. I know it doesn't look good for the league. I know it doesn't look good for Indy Ball. I'm glad that this was written because we can talk about it. Um, Ryan Schwamm with ALPB Roundup can talk about it, and any, anyone else can talk about it who really watches indie ball, loves indie ball. Players can talk about it. Nothing will get done unless you have these big outlets who are essentially exposing what the Atlantic League is and is not doing in, in, the, in the sense of this partnership. People who are reading national media outlets probably didn't know. Yeah. Uh, until until these articles were written. So I'm glad this was brought to light because then it could actually bring about change that this Atlantic League so desperately needs because it's heading in the wrong direction. Oh, absolutely. And the, the quote I was talking about at the very end of the article, it's literally the last paragraph, it's the last lines you'll read in this CBS article, is <clears throat> from Rick White, and it goes, quote, I care a great deal about the relationship with Major League Baseball, and because of that, I defer to them completely around all our experiments. At the end of the day, they're the ones commissioning the experiments. Our job is to execute these tests as capably and professionally as possible. So that matches up really nicely with the we need one unified voice. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to we need one person speaking on behalf of the league, but you can say what you want as long as you're willing to promote the agenda we want you to promote. Which, inherently, I understand that on one level, you need uniformity across the board. I get that. At the same time here, it's a very bad look when you're essentially saying, you can say what you want, but as long as you just don't cross the line. Because if you cross the line, then you're off the reservation now, and anything can happen, really. Like well said, we've talked about this a lot. I mean, it was, what, two, three weeks ago where we really went in depth on this? or actually it was roughly a month ago when when everything went to hell on that front and we went into depth here and it just confirms everything we, that we said. It's the same people saying the same things. A couple other things that were, uh, I guess, kind of interesting at uh, of note from there was that the league likes the changes. They agree with the changes. The players, one thing that was interesting that I found in that article, they said that the first time that most of us threw off this new mound was in a game we didn't get practice time we didn't get exhibition time there wasn't an all-star break for us to adjust it was just we showed up at the yeah. ballpark one day and the mound was new and so we got like 
a practice and our warm-up pitches on game day, and then we just had to start going from there. And I don't think it's a crazy stretch for anyone to imagine that for a professional pitcher, particularly guys that have all pretty much pitched at a very high level, mostly double-A and higher, they've spent their whole careers, their whole life throwing from a certain mound to then expect them with certain mechanics and certain pitching techniques to just immediately step on the to a new mound and be able to throw the ball effectively and in a competitive manner is just not a realistic expectation. And let's just kind of ignore everything except for the practical purpose of moving that mound back for one second. If we're not having athletes and pitchers, which that's a bit redundant, athletes and pitchers are, you know, they can both do the same thing. Pitchers are athletes. Yeah. I mean, they also rake too. We saw that multiple times this past Oh, that, that, you're spoiling my thing to add. All right. Well, I'll leave it. I'll leave it then. But if you want to have good results here, you need to have these athletes. You need to have these pitchers. You need to have them well acquainted with the mound or at least well enough to know how to effectively you know, practice their craft, which is throwing a baseball really well with good command. And if you don't give them that time to adjust to it, then you have to kind of throw out the first week or two of data because simply put, they're still adjusting to that. And it's not exactly like you're doing this against a lower level competition or underdeveloped player, guys that are still in their early 20s. These are mostly guys that are in their late 20s, mid to late 20s. So a mistake pitch is going to be especially exploited and punished as opposed to in, say, a frontier league where you may be able to get away with them a bit more. Granted, a mistake pitch at any level is still liable to go over the wall, but you can understand my point. A more professional hitter, a guy that's faced off against AAA major league talent, is going to jump on that pitch a lot more than a guy that's faced off against high A talent, mostly. So... Just from a practical standpoint, it makes no sense to give them no practice time. That's part of it. Then, I also liked how the league kind of put the onus on the teams about this whole moving players around. How they said, we told them around Memorial Day that this was going to happen. And some of the teams, they heeded the warning. They moved their guys out around June and all was well and good. Other teams just ignored it to the last minute. So, really, it's the teams that are the bad guy. It's how I interpreted that. And I go, okay, I understand that on a smaller scale, you have a good point. They, it does come down to the teams. The teams need to do a better job of taking care of their players. And I'm sure that will come back to bite them later on, particularly next season. The ones that kind of left guys out to dry about this are going to suffer more. But I also say the teams wouldn't be in that position if you never agreed to that particular rule change. And I understand you walked it back one foot. It was going to be 62 and a half and then it became 61 and a half. Great. That's slightly better, but it's still not exactly good. It's still not great. It's still a problem and it still created an issue that didn't need to even exist. I mean, we talked about the gag order and all that too. That's another issue that just didn't need to exist. I mean, there's a lot more in here. It goes on, players question the quality of the league now, which I'm sure is going to be something that's going to really take a hit and something I want to dive in on in just a second here about how the future of the Atlantic League looks, but also how apparently the partnership gave the league more money, but the money's not going to the players or to areas where the players would benefit from it, even though they're the ones doing the grunt work. I also like how 
at one point in there, it kind of alluded to players almost wanting to pull off a strike too, which it may not be popular to say to some listening, but I would have loved to seen that. I'm sure it would have backfired horribly on some of the players. I'm sure it would have caused a lot of issues, but I think it also would have grabbed a lot of headlines and really hammered home the point here. And all of this article and what it has to say tells me one thing here, that this mound experiment was truly pointless. Because if you have Atlantic League level pitchers, guys that are either trying to start or resurrect their careers, if they're willing to fight to the bitter end on this, which seemingly there was a large percentage of them that are more than willing to do, you mean to tell me that Major League Baseball players are not going to die on that mound? They're going to fight like hell on this, which is something I mentioned a month ago when we talked about this, how there isn't a, a snowball shot in hell that you will see Clayton Kershaw, Jake DeGrom... Walker Bueller, any of these top-level pitchers ever throw from a mound that's other than 60 and a half feet because there's a solid half of Major League Baseball that throws the ball from that mound that is not going to go for that at all. There's a solid percentage of hitters that I don't think are going to want to sign up for that either. I just don't see any way where this really moves forward. And I understand the situations are very different. You have some people trying to get to the show while the other ones are already there. But the guys that are already there, they sure as hell do not want to risk hurting their arms. They sure as hell don't want to risk hurting their stat lines, which could affect their future paychecks. And just overall, most of them just want to stay there. Let's let's not kid ourselves here. A solid 90% of Major League Baseball is not a slam dunk lock to make the opening day roster for the year after this current one. They're not a lock for that. So why would they want to do anything that would possibly endanger that position? Yeah, there's no chance. There's no chance whatsoever that MLB Players Association uh, would would let the mountain be moved back. But therein lies the issue here, because the Players Association uh, in the MLB, despite the fact, out of all the unions, really, uh, in, in professional sports, are not among the stronger ones, uh, the point is they at least have a player's voice. And that's the reason this will never get passed because they have a player's voice. The Atlantic League has none of that. Uh, the, the Atlantic League has none of that. And of course, it's not realistic to say, oh, Atlantic League players or indie ball players form a union. That's not realistic because they don't get paid enough to like chip in the union dues and stuff like that. Like that, That's not realistic. Plus replaceability is uh, another factor in there. I mean, if we're being honest, there's a lot sure. of guys on these rosters that are that teams would not think twice about tossing aside if it became that much of an issue, at least with affiliated minor leagues. When you talk about that, you have some of the really top-of-the-line talent that if they jump down a union, all of a sudden Major League Baseball has to, at the very least, acknowledge its existence. With a lot of these guys in indie ball, they don't have to be acknowledged. There's a lot of guys gunning for jobs. Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem. There's, there's, no, there's no real player's voice. And that one unified voice that Rick White talks about, well, is that the player's voice? No, it's not the, certainly not the player's voice. That's the voice of the league and the people who are reaping the benefits of this partnership, right? And not even so much the end point. And of course, we talked about David Kubiak getting, uh, getting his contract purchased today. But, uh, but before that, 
it's interesting that the Atlantic League has had a ton of contracts purchased uh, this year. However, the, the article states that zero ALPB contracts have been transferred to an, uh, to an MLB uh, organization since July 20th, before, get, before David Kubiak's contract was purchased today. Uh, July 20th was the last time that MLB teams purchased an Atlantic League contract. A hitter, the last time an MLB organization purchased a contract of an, uh, of an Atlantic League hitter or position player, June 20th, when, when the Phillies purchased the contract of Logan Moore from High Point. That, so you mean to tell me, the because this has been the whole thing this entire time, the players will benefit from this partnership how? Because their data will be shared uh, with, <clears throat> with MLB organizations, and they they're having a, they'll have a better chance in the Atlantic League more so than any other than any other indie ball league or uh, or any other route you could take to getting back into affiliated ball. The Atlantic League is the way to go, thanks to this partnership. And I guess it, of course, it's kind of a loose connection, but in exchange for playing with these kind of rules, well, that hasn't been the case. That, that hasn't been the case, and it's not because there aren't guys putting up numbers in the Atlantic League, because I can promise you there are certainly guys putting up numbers uh, in the Atlantic League, but I think it's undoubtedly, uh, I can say this, that the quality of play has gone down in the Atlantic League, 100%. Yeah. Uh, whether it's hard to draw that specifically to a, a level, I know in this article uh, an Atlantic League player, I believe a hitter, uh, said that he draws this league more to high A, at this point, um, from a pitching perspective, I can see that being probably about right. Uh, at, at this point, I mean, I have never seen uh, guys getting directly signed. So many guys getting directly signed out of their senior year when they've graduated college and immediately going into the Atlantic League. I have never seen that in the Atlantic League. Mm. Not never. Maybe like one or two guys. Or, like high point, like high point would would play with some of those guys at the uh, in the 2019 season. Just a couple, though. I mean, you're seeing a ton of guys going into the Atlantic League from college, and you've never seen it before. So the quality of play has certainly gone down this year. Uh, and if if MLB organizations aren't purchasing the contracts of Atlantic League players, then what the hell's in it for the players? Honestly, yeah. I mean, and and what's in it for the league in general, except except the money that they get from it, in which case we don't know where it's going. We don't know what it's gone towards. And and of course, the Atlantic League won't say it because the Atlantic League says nothing about anything. And that's the problem because it leaves everybody in the dark and it just gets it gets players more and more frustrating. until eventually the player said, you know what, I'm going to go play somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna, they're going to say, I'm going to go play somewhere else. And that's what you're going. It's what you started to see happen uh, this year. That's probably what you're going to going to start to see more of next year. I think the American Association is going to continue to re- to reap the benefits uh, of that. Um, I mean, the American Association extremely talented this year. Very high quality of play. Very uh, entertaining baseball too. Very say. entertaining baseball. Yeah, absolutely. American Association. I mean, it, American Association is very fun to watch this year. Yep. Uh, and the Frontier League as well. Atlantic League. I don't know if I could say the same. And, and this is and this is coming from someone who loves the Atlantic League and wants the players and want to see them do well. But it's just the reality. It really is. Yeah. 
which just to go a little bit further on the point of the uh, of the ERAs, there's only one team as a team with an ERA under five, and that's Long Island at 4.93. So true under five, but it's barely under five. Most teams are in that like high five to low five range, 5'10", 5'22", 5'83", 5'90", 6'14". 656 and then of course Lancaster coming in at 7.37 as well they're bringing up the rear there but yeah there's just no no pitching and we've talked about this before on the show it's hard to evaluate a player in the Atlantic League this year even before the mound it was like these are video game like numbers so is a 300 hitter in this league a true 300 hitter or are they more like a 260 hitter in which case eh, I'm not taking a shot on them and, and Nick, in in that case, in that case, Nick, you we kind of hypothesized that MLB organizations were going to be like, yeah, I don't like if there's any question, like, yeah, I don't know if that's like really that sustainable, or you kind of try and take it with a grain of salt. If there's any doubt, they're not going to take a chance, and yeah. that's what we've seen, and yeah. that's exactly 100 yeah. percent what we have seen in the second half of the season. Yeah, you don't take a flyer on a 27 year old. It's as simple as right. that. You take a flyer on a 22-year-old because you go, eh, we could use him for a year or two, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. We didn't really waste much. 27-year-old? Eh, we pretty much know what he is. That's why Kubiak is just such an anomaly. He's 32. Doesn't really... Does he even have affiliated minor league experience? He does. He, he does have my affiliated minor... He came up with the Rays, okay. but I believe... I mean, it was... I mean, not recently at all. Like, okay, so yeah, it was a I'll, question I'll, time. Yeah, look it up, look it up while uh, while I keep making the point here, which is yeah, it's I'm not going to knock them. I mean, 71 contracts throughout for a whole season would be a lot. The fact that it was 70 in the whole first half is quite impressive, and I mean, it does normally slow down as you go along in the year, especially after the draft. There's just fewer spots here, so I'm not going to knock them. On some level, they are true. Having the advanced numbers probably got uh, some guys that otherwise would not have been signed signed, but. At the end of the day, we're now seeing the back half of between all these mound movements, MLB organizations going, that's great. We're going to use the data from these trials, certainly. So they're worth it for us on that perspective. But as far as looking for players that are going to make an impact on our club in the future or that are going to help our minor league club give our younger players situations where they're going to get valuable experience from, we're just not willing to take that risk right now. And that's going to come back and it's going to haunt them. And it's almost like the MLB, instead of players, they're now looking at data. They're yeah. looking at data that can make an impact on the ML, at the MLB level. And of course, at the end of the day, they're just trying to make more money. And that's what it comes down to. And that's what, you know, it, it's tough. To, to quickly answer your question about Kubiak, yeah. uh, he, he had one short stint in 2016. He got purchased from Bridgeport. Uh, and had a 142 ERA in six and a third innings with the Trenton Thunder and double A with the Yankees organization in 2016. But prior to that, prior to that short stint, uh, he had not played affiliated ball since 2011. So, uh, so no stints at all since 2016, uh, but like an actual sizable stint would be 2011. Okay, so realistically, it's been more like 10 years since a noticeable chunk of time. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, which 
I, I know we're running long on this, but I, I do want to just keep hammering home because it's a larger point here. And this is kind of what I wanted to get to here. Everything that the Atlantic League seemingly has done wrong, the American Association does right. Mm-hmm. Their outreach is terrific. Like I was a bit skeptical when I saw all the digital partnerships and everything. I was like, I'm not sure how valuable this is going to be. But they've definitely taken a brand new approach. Seemingly all the clubs are very active on social media. Uh, Cleburne's one that's in particular that's always going around. They're very on the ball when it comes to social media usage. Uh, I've seen that Fargo's getting involved in it. Chicago's getting more involved in it. Uh, Lincoln's starting to get a little, starting to dip their toe in there a little bit as well. There's a lot of clubs that are getting really active in that social media space. Obviously, the league's done a lot to really try and announce their presence between really starting to utilize that AA baseball TV really having that one weekly roundup type show, having the daily recaps, having the kind of whip arounds, I think three times a week. I want to say it's like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that they do those. And it's like an interview with a player. It's a very active, very engaging platform. Everything that the Atlantic League says with these new rules and everything, the American associations basically said, we're not doing that. This is baseball. Like, you know, extra inning rules. They're the same. There's no... You just start it like it's a clean inning. There's no difference in the mound. You could shift if you want. You could do whatever you want. And they have a high level of talent, a much higher level of talent than I've really, to be quite honest, realized in the past. And like we said, the games are entertaining. Like as soon as we finish this this whole topic here, we're going right to the American Association. And as of 11-12 on the East Coast on Thursday night, there's still two games active, and there's very much still a playoff race in the South Division. The North's a little bit more uh, decided at this point, but figuring out who's going to win that division is still uh, not a lock yet. It's competitive baseball every which way you cut it. And to be honest, even the Frontier League has been very entertaining. They just wrapped up their last game, which was like a four-hour game between Quebec and uh, Rockland or New York, whatever they're going by these days, which I can only imagine four hours. That's that's a little too long for me. But <laughs> what I'm just saying, for the 7.04 start, it should be done around 10.30. That's, that's all I'm going to say on that. But when you factor everybody in, Every division's still pretty much up for grabs. Possibly the Central's kind of decide that's a five-game lead, and every other team's under 500 that's not named Schomburg. So that division's kind of set in stone there, but everybody else is still up for grabs. So it's just, to be honest, more entertaining baseball in the American Association and the Frontier League. Both leagues are just as, if not more than, active than the Atlantic League is, and it's not necessarily a knock to the teams. Because obviously we know a lot of guys at each of the teams and they do a lot and they try to reach out. But when the league above them is kind of handicapping them, there's only so much they can really do. And it's kind of made evident. It's just an unfortunate situation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember earlier in the year when they when they said what the rules were going to be and. Of course, with the mound being moved back, there was a lot of a lot of talk, and there was a player even commented about it and saying how how awful it was and how frustrated he was about it. And le- less than probably about thirty minutes later, his GM uh, told him that he had to delete the comment. <laughs> so, so I'm not not going to name names, but yeah. that uh, that that is a thing that happened, and unfortunately, that's. Yeah. 
that's really is what what you're seeing in the Atlantic League and it's and, a microcosm it's really that whole situation is a microcosm of where we are right now literally yeah, yeah. even though that was months ago yeah but uh, it foreshadowed what was happening sure did so it's just it's unfortunate and this chasm is just going to continue to grow we're going to see even crazier rules next year apparently Lancaster's foul poles are like pink now I didn't know that like I feel like I should have known that but I didn't yeah. but but yeah like there's harmless stuff like that and then there's like everything else <laughs> well, I mean Rick White said in the interview he was like oh get ready for next year we're gonna we're gonna bring rules that no one felt possible that no one thought possible in, in a minor league baseball field and you turn to everybody who is like yay oh god it's like it's it's like at this point it's it's like watching a train crash that you have no power to stop almost where it's like i just want it to not happen but when it does i'm not going to be able to look away because i because of just the spectacle of it and like i'm really hoping that i like the rules i hope it's something i didn't expect and then when I started to think about it, it made a lot of sense and it worked out great. I'm going to be an optimist. I'm going to try to like it. And again, we're only talking about this because we want the league to be better. And part of that wanting to be better is pointing out the flaws of the league. And this is a flaw at the moment. The communication has been a flaw. The way they've handled the situation, I again do not understand, do not know how much control they have on handling it. But the way they have has been done poorly. And it's going to get pointed out here. So I hope that some of the worst rules go away. I hope that some good ones come in place of it. And I hope they can go back to the way things used to be. But as the CBS article mentions, Pandora's box has been opened. There's no going back anymore. It What's, what's been started cannot be undone. So who only knows where we're going to go from here and we didn't mention much about the athletic article if at all uh that was behind a paywall so we didn't want to spend too much time talking about that i'll link it in the show notes as well but uh just being honest it's if you don't have a subscription i don't think you'll be able to read it so uh that's why that didn't get much press yeah but you know what you know what nick are you uh are are you ready to talk about some happy stuff and Playoff races, and I think I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about exciting baseball, fun baseball, two teams that are on seven-game winning streaks, which actually, I think they're up more now. No, they didn't play today. Well, one did. One streak died. Fargo's no longer on a seven-game winning streak. They lost to Gary. That's never good. But Chicago's 9-1, and and they seem to be the favorites to win the North Division as we go to the American Association. Remember when we thought Chicago was going to be bad? Yeah, I remember that. Not our finest hour. Yeah. To be fair, we get the South Division pretty much spot on. We did. Yeah. That is is true. And the Apollos are pushing 15 wins. Actually. Uh, Oh, yeah. They may get win number 15 tonight. As it stands right now, bottom of the fifth inning, they lead Sioux City 5-3, to which that game's been going on for a long time now, it seems like. Yeah. That's a long game. I've... Oh. Too, too long for too long for Nick. Yep, and also we were talking about this before we came on. Milwaukee finally uh, that game went final. Winnipeg got a run, nineteen to one. Your final. 
which I guess we'll yeah. jump in on that North Division. We kept for like the past two or three weeks saying Winnipeg has a chance. Winnipeg has a chance, or at least I was really pushing that chance. Look, they got a chance. They have hope. With about what ten games left, twelve games left, roughly in their season, they need to make up five games on Milwaukee, and they have six games left against Fargo, Moorhead, and Chicago. They have a three-game stint in Gary too. I don't want to call them quite dead yet, but I do think they may need a miracle to make the postseason now. They, uh, yeah, I would say it's very unlikely um, at this point. Certainly, tonight's loss, nineteen to one loss, did not help at all. But uh, I mean, hey, Winnipeg played well in the second half to get to, to get back in it, but. Yeah, they would definitely need a run, but they need a big run. But you know who we said that about last week, Nick? Who, who did we say that about last week? Oh, there's a couple teams that we did say this about. So if we want to talk with, uh, there's two teams in particular, but they're both in the Frontier League that I'm thinking. So yeah, so we said this about Quebec. Yeah, and we said they're real. They're like they're probably out of it. They're going to need to make a run. Then they just win ten games in a row. Eleven. So. They've won eleven well, now. Well, yeah. Oh, they said. Oh, that game yeah. went final. You're yeah. right. Okay. Eleven they're, game they're winning streak. Now. <laughs> ah, Frontier League. Uh, but yeah, so it, we're so take this with a grain of salt because uh, we clearly don't know what we're talking about on the Indie Ball Report <laughs> podcast. But uh, but they would need they would need to get red hot. Milwaukee would need to get ice cold. And Milwaukee isn't playing good lately, but you know they've won two in a row. You could see them getting. Uh, getting back into it. I mean, at this point, when you're looking at the North Division, I mean, Chicago with their scalding hot uh, stretch, winning nine out of the ten, seven in a row, um, they, they're they looking good to getting, I guess you could call it a first-round bye. Yeah. Is that, I, the be- is that the best way to put it? Yeah. Yeah, they, they'll get the bye. Nine and yeah. one in their last ten, two as of Thursday night. So yeah. they look they look pretty set. Yeah, so then you're looking at far, probably Fargo, Moorhead, and Milwaukee fighting it out for for home field in that one game playoff, which it which is a big deal. That oh, is yeah. a big deal in a in a one game playoff, no doubt about it. Oh, uh, oh, you know what series it is this week for Chicago? Who is it? They have they host Fargo, Moorhead. Hmm, that's a fun not over series. yet. Then that's a fun series right there. Then they go Maybe up to not. Winnipeg for three games, I think. Let me just make sure of that. Yeah, then they play Winnipeg for three, and then they play uh, four games against King County. Okay. So, soft end to the season, but uh, okay. Well, then maybe Fargo Moorhead has... They I mean, Chicago's won seven in a row. They have a shot. They have yeah. a shot with going head-to-head uh, this weekend. But, um, so, yeah, they, got, they would have to make stuff happen uh, this weekend against a red-hot Chicago team and so, finding... Finding a way to cool off Chicago the way nobody really has gonna, the whole season is going to be tough. Uh, but hey, head to head, they certainly have a shot this weekend, and that's that that's going to be a fun one. Oh, absolutely! It's going to be really fun that series. As far as what Milwaukee goes, they have Kane County for three, and then it looks like they go to Lincoln after that. Uh, okay. So that's not terrible. Yeah, three against Lincoln after the three against Kane County, and then they finish the season with four against Gary. So that's a pretty soft, that's pretty soft landing, but yeah, so yeah. I, I can't see, I can't see Winnipeg getting back. Yeah. In, but 
Winnipeg would, like I said, they really need to make him. If honestly, I'll say this much: if Winnipeg gets into the postseason, I like them to get to a championship game because that showed that they were able to go like eleven and one against some very difficult teams when they needed to win. That being said, I'd say if they get to fifty-three wins, it's a very solid season, all things considered. Between the traveling, yeah. the like two-thirds of a season they played in Tennessee, when you factor everything in. That's worth it in and of itself. Plus, Kyle Martin has a very, very strong case for MVP. So it could be still a, a solid season for them. But South Yeah, Div- total, I totally agree with that, honestly. Yeah. Then meanwhile, in the South Division, it's just a mess. And honestly, if Winnipeg was in the South, which would never happen because that would be one weird-ass division setup. But if they were there, they'd still be in the middle of things, too. Because, like, we know the Monarch, Monarchs clinched the playoff spot. They were the first team to do that uh, this week. So they managed to accomplish that. They got to 60 wins. They have an outside shot hitting 70, but they'd have to win another 10 in a row. I don't think that's going to happen, but 65 is certainly within range. I have to look at their schedule to see how doable that is. But as far as that wild card game, there's still three teams. Like, granted... Yeah. The fact that Sioux City is having a very tough time handling the Apollos, not exactly inspiring a lot of confidence. They lost last night 9-7 to Houston. They eked out a win on Tuesday 3-2, and now they're losing here. They do have Sioux Falls, which should help them out. That should be a fairly easy series. But then they got Fargo-Moorhead, and that's not good. But then they have more Sioux Falls, that's so that's not good. good. Yeah, well, I mean, look, they're playing. <laughs> and they got Fargo Moorhead, and that's not good. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna sit here and tell me that they're playing the third best team in the league? That's positive. No, I don't. I don't think I would spin it as a positive. No. Yeah. One positive is their last ten games, seven are against Sioux Falls, so that's a plus. I mean, Houston. I mean, they were playing Houston, so yeah, fair, very fair. And I mean, but. So, uh, as far as Lincoln goes, the Salt Dogs—they only have home games left. Yeah, so this is we and, and we've we've referenced this, uh, yeah. I believe, on last week's show. Uh, as far as as far as Lincoln's final stretch, when when they when they have straight home games uh, uh, to end the season, and listen, they're on a four-game losing streak, three and seven in their last ten. Not ideal for them, but as far as them battling with Sioux City, even though Sioux City has kind of an easy schedule down down the stretch. I think Lincoln probably has the better shot here yeah. with the home games. I think Lincoln's the better team as well, honestly. I'd agree um, with that, yeah. Yeah, I think I think Lincoln's the more talented team. Uh, I, I think they'll get off they'll get off the Schneid. Brett Jody will rally the troops uh, to get into that one game playoff uh, against Cleburne. I think Cleburne's looking pretty good right now. They're starting good on that to get one? hot at the yeah. I think Cleburne's get Cleburne's getting hot at the right time. Forty nine and forty won their last four. Uh, they're definitely getting hot at the right time. They're looking pretty good as far as hosting that that, that play-in game. But uh, Lincoln and Sioux City is going to be a, a fight to the finish. Uh, and I guess you're almost hoping to see which teams at the bottom are going to play spoiler. I guess yeah. the, I guess that's the best way to look at that. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, too, for, uh, for Cleburne, they finished the season with Kansas City. So that's not exactly an easy task. I mean... Yeah, but... He, I I got that, but it's Kansas. There's also a solid chance Kansas City just like completely punts that series, just trying to line up their pitching. That's that's a good point too. Yeah, which I will say one thing here because I think we we're going to be moving fairly quickly onto the Frontier League soon. 
I do mm-hmm. just want to say one thing. John Silviano is having himself a week. Like last no week, kidding. he was definitely the player of the week, seven home runs. As of right now, so this is, I assume the stats updated now to include all the Thursday night games. So essentially, after the completion of the last game on Thursday, or well, all but one game, there's still Sioux City going, but he has six home runs in his last seven games. Joey Votto numbers. I know. Then if we want to expand that out to like over the past month, let's see. His home run total is 10. 10 in the last 27. So I mean, I mean, just look at his last like nine games. Like his home, like, or I guess eight games with his home runs. Two home runs, two home runs, one home run, one home run, no home runs, one home run, one home run, no home runs. That's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Oh, and Amber Walker's, he's approaching 30 home runs. Him and Kyle Martin are like neck and neck. And Jose Sermo's not far behind. He's at 27, 28 for Martin, 29 for Walker. Uh, And then Ramon Hernandez is actually kind of getting close to that uh, RBI record, too. He's at 95 right now. So he's got some work to do, but he certainly is not out of that race at all yet. Not at all. Yeah. I mean... And look at this. This is all. This is all the exciting. Uh, so many fun storylines in the American Association down the stretch. Yep. And also, let's not forget that rookie Wyatt Ehrlich is still batting above 340, and seemingly has done so for the whole year. And for anyone that may have fallen out of, you know, keeping up with him because he had like a 40 game on base streak too in the middle of the season. Just to add to things here, he's played 78 games. And in 327 at-bats, he's walked only 40 times, but he's also struck out 41 times. So that's about comparable there. And the really Mm -hmm. impressive thing to me here is, and this is like such a contact hitter number, only one home run all year. Oh, you don't see too many of those guys anymore. Yeah. And I, I just love that, though. It's like he's good for like a hit a game, seemingly. Actually, he had a hitting streak run from August 17th through August 23rd. So a six-game hitting streak, not bad. But. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of refreshing to see the, those kind of guys. I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a guy who's going to sit up here and yell about how, they, how there's too much striking out in the game today and the game was more fun back in the 90s. But, but you know, I, it, it's fun to see guys. It, I like the mixture. Uh, I like the mixture of, of guys like that, and and Wyatt Ulrich certainly a good example of what of of one of those contact hitters that is certainly of a perfect guy at the top of the order. Yep, absolutely. So on that note, we'll keep it moving. We'll go to the Frontier League. Uh, with that note, because I think we covered everything for the American Association for this week, which actually next time we record this show, we'll be talking about like the last weekend of. American Association regular season play. Now we're previewing Man. playoffs and stuff. It flies by, doesn't it? It does. This is re- we're really starting to get into the thick of things, and we'll be talking about the stretch of the Frontier League, which, as well mentioned earlier, Quebec's on an eleven game winning streak, and they took what we said last week, which is uh, you know Tri City, they're going to win this division, and then Tri City went four and six, and Quebec was just like nah. We're going to just try and remind you that we're on top of things. And the Boulders are doing exactly what I've been saying all year they're going to do, which is 
play around 470, 480 ball with a 463 winning percentage. So we'll start with the Atlantic Division because it wouldn't be an indie ball report episode without talking about Tri City. So uh, nope. So why don't we start there? What's up with we Quebec? Do talk, we talk about Tri City every single week, don't we? But, I mean, they're they're just like the Frontier League's most interesting fun sitcom. Yeah. So because every week there's something new. And it's some sort of drama, and you just cannot take your eyes off them. But anyway, as far as Quebec, uh, what the hell? Yeah. What just happened? They're, they they got we tired. Were pretty, I mean, we were pretty content, uh, just kind of saying, like, you know, they they're not they're probably not making the playoffs, but uh, I mean, hats off to them. They fought hard all season, um, and really. Putting, putting together a 500 record, spending two-thirds of your season on the road is a major, major, major accomplishment. Like, you deserve a ton of props for that. And that's something we've never really seen uh, in indie ball. And they just absolutely shredded, shredded the cover off the ball this week. Shredded. Three, they hit 374 as a team. 374... As a team, all right, uh, they have an OPS as a team at uh, right around 1060 for the week. They had 11 home runs in those games, 39 walks compared to 53 strikeouts. So, so similar numbers there. I mean, what an unbelievable explosion! By by this offense and let, pitching let's, isn't let's, bad either. No, not at all. I mean, but, I mean, you look at yeah, a, a four ERA for the week that'll play. And uh, I mean, looking at some of the guys who just paired, I mean, Ruben Castro. Oh my goodness, he went for this week fourteen for twenty nine. That's good for a four eighty three batting average. Uh. And he walked eight times and struck out once. Just bananas. Just absolutely, absolutely bananas. And as out of the all of the regulars on this team, the guys who play every day, their worst batting average this week was 278. The, and the second to worst, 343 for the week. So talk about clicking all at the right time. I mean, and of course, uh, you look at also guys like who have, who are finally starting to, to hit like they were supposed to this year. Gifton Gopez, former big leaguer, of course, being in that group as well. Just a, an unbelievable, unbelievable week that, well, honestly, if if Quebec could pull this off and get into the playoffs, like this is going to go down in history. Oh, it really yeah. is. This we're going to be talking about this all offseason. Oh, God. Yeah, like this is the team where when I took my flyer on them to win this division, I was like, I just kind of want to see this. Just to stir the pot, and I was like, when I looked and saw 11, 11 in a row, I I, I was kind of speechless. And now, like, you look at the rest of their schedule, too. They got three against Washington, three against Sussex County, four against New Jersey, two against New York, and then they finish the season on the road at Skylands, four against Sussex County. To be fair, one's a doubleheader. So, like, they don't have much of a schedule left. Nobody does. But they're hot. And honestly, it's not the most difficult schedule in the world. Sussex, as we've pointed out numerous times, 
has been on and off. They've gotten back on the right track. Seven and three in the last 10, three game winning streak. So things are getting better. Washington's in still in the hunt. So those aren't necessarily easy games. I mean, I'd assume that the boulders and the jackals are really your kind of easier games to play against, but it's certainly, uh, very much in play looking at tri city too. I mean, I got to just quickly pull up their schedule here, but they, they got work to do again. I mean, the fact Tri-City's still in this after that abysmal start is a testament alone, but their pathway doesn't get any easier. If you look at the Tri-City lineup here, they got, they still got Sussex, which I mean, those are always fun games. They got New Jersey for a while. They got New York for a while. And they got Washington for a while. So they're playing essentially the same teams, maybe in a different order, but I, I'm, I'm like almost gun shy to say I like Quebec to win this division just because of how up and down it could be. And that in a week's time, we could be talking about this and going, man, I didn't see the Boulders winning seven games in a row this week to take the division lead. But the, the thing I, is, can totally, I, I can totally see that happening. Exactly, because this division is nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. It's just like, eh, pick a team. Are they going to be leading at the end of the week? Who knows? Like, I kind of yeah. want to say, uh, we'll go Tri-City to lead at the end of the week because there you can kind of beat up on the Miners as of recent. And, I, but again, if I do that, you're asking me to pick against a team that just won 11 games in a row. So, like, like you can't even really find a losing streak really in the month of August. Like, yeah, there's a three-game skid from the 8th to the 11th, and then a two-game skid on 13 and 14. But even then, like, you you really kind of got to dig back to the end of July, very beginning of August. So, like, yeah, I don't know what the hell happened to Quebec. It's a long way of saying they're really good right now. And that's not saying Tri-City's been bad. It's just they haven't been 11 games in a row good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like Tri-City is, well, I mean, one half of Tri-City has completely fallen off the earth. Their offense had a solid week. Yeah. Uh, their pitching had an 882 ERA this week. Is that good? Uh, 882? I mean, knowing now, knowing from our, our weekly Lancaster team ERA check, I can confirm since not even Lancaster uh, uh, that bad, I could bet that's probably not very good. That yeah. no need to fear... Because at least the law firm did not give up a run this week, which is all that really matters. Except, see, at this point, I'm rooting for the law firm. And he got a save, two and a third scoreless. That's really the important thing this week. Exactly. Actually, I mean, I like, like does, does anything else really matter? Yeah, two and a third perfect innings, might I say. Not a single base runner allowed. What a nod. Why is he not I mean, an I'm, affiliated ball? I don't, yeah. I don't know. We, well, we got David Kubiak in. We gotta get we gotta get the law firm in. And you know what's horrible news too? I saw last year's like man crush player, Peyton Gray, had surgery that's gonna knock him out for twenty two too. That's awful. No, did really? Yeah, I think it was Tommy John. I don't know. He made a Facebook oh. post saying that he didn't want it was a sad way to end the twenty one season, but he's looking forward to get ready for twenty twenty three. So that kind of tells me it's Tommy John. Yeah. That's so disappointing. It is. I mean, like, the gray ghost going down is just like, he's like the first guy that this show really went all in on, at least that I can remember off the top of my head. 
So it just, it's really quite terrible news. Yeah, I mean, hey, I mean, Peyton Gray had a, I mean, he had a great year. Yeah. At least. High A, 126 ERA, 15 appearances, 6 saves. Yeah, pretty solid. Struggled a bit in double A, but you wonder if the injury had something to do with that. But Yeah, I think he uh, started as as, the year in double A. That could be it. Oh, okay. Yeah, if he I'll started the up. year in double A, then, you know. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, you also look at other like Tri City. Bruce Bell started the year actually in the Atlantic League uh, with the York Revolution. He uh, he actually before this week was yeah. pretty good at his first four starts, um, and then his last two starts, he gave up twelve runs in ten and two thirds innings and gave up twenty one hits in ten and two thirds innings. Mm, not good. Not. Not no no not not good at all. It looks like he started the season uh, in Double A. Yeah, on April 29th, he got assigned to Northwest Arkansas. This is Peyton Gray from Omaha, and then he went on June 10th down to Quad City, and then down to Columbia, and then back to Quad City. But that was like two days, so I don't even count the Columbia stint. Yeah. So, well, uh, yeah. So, uh, Frontier League. Frontier League. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The indie ball report. Indie ball. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so indie ball. Yeah. So Tri City, their pitching sucks, and that's going to hold them back, especially when a team is like on fire. Right. But yeah, I I think that I'm not. They're certainly not out of it. Right. A game and a half manageable. Uh, Very but, manageable. Yeah. Given how comfortable they were, like last week, and how much how dire it is now, I mean, what a what a turnaround! And I guess that'll happen when the other team goes or wins eleven in a row. Yeah, that that will happen. Enough on the Atlantic Division. We'll go Northeast Division, then West, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Northeast Division. Both teams at the top, seven and three, eight and two. Both have been doing very good, and Sussex County because they were the only team that really I don't want to say they were ever like god awful this year. They had some stretches where they were playing some very bad uninspired baseball, but they're back on the winning path now. That may be able to carry them. I want to say they have one series against Washington left, which that could become a very 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 important series. I want to say that's Labor Day weekend. Hope so. Yes, it is. Friday the 3rd through Monday the 6th. Awesome. I'll be back in New Jersey and I can watch at least one of those games. So that's my plan. Awesome. Love that. Yeah. So that, that four-game stretch is going to become an extremely important stretch of baseball for the Sussex County Miners because if they do very poorly in that stretch, Washington could take the division right at the goal line and run it in for the touchdown playoff spot <laughs> where they'll play like whoever the hell's the Atlantic division. We've mentioned them too much already, but yeah. So that, that's an interesting fight in the Northeast. Yeah. I, I think that next, certainly next week, right before that series starts, I mean, it's probably going to come down to that because in, I mean, when you look at, uh, when you look at the Northeast division, I mean, Sussex is playing really good baseball right now. Washington is playing really good baseball right now. And then the Jackals are just getting destroyed by everybody. Uh, and so, I mean, I mean, you got the miners and the wild things just playing such good baseball right now. Um, 
I think that it it's probably going to come down to that series. I'm almost rooting it for it to stay really close before that four game series, so they can have the most on the line to get into the playoff spot. That would make it really fun. But hey, I mean, both teams are playing really good right now. It seems like Sussex County, at least for the moment, I emphasize for the moment because of how up and down they have been at different points this year. Uh, but at the, at certainly at this moment, winners of their last three, they're uh, they're on the upswing. For sure, and they look like the they've kind of gotten out of that hole, but certainly with Washington playing the way they are, they're not out of the woods at all. So, well, the only part of the woods that they well now they're kind of doubling the woods actually when you think about it because their ballpark's in the middle of nowhere, but actually cornfield, but still a nice ballpark. But yeah, no, they I love are, it. Yeah, no, it's a really nice ballpark. They play as the Colonels tonight too. Really like the oh, jerseys. That's nice. Yeah, like if you look at the jerseys, I think they post them on their Twitter and Instagram. Really nice jerseys. I like the look. But uh, more to the point, yeah, both of these teams have gotten hot at the right time. I want it to stay close. I hope that when I get back to New Jersey, I'll have an entertaining series to watch on Memorial Day or the day before Memorial Day. So, or no, I keep saying Memorial Day. It's Labor Day. Memorial in my mind, day. they're one and the same. Frontier League Baseball all winter? I dig it. <laughs> that new, the winter Frontier League. You're going to play in the Jersey snow and you're going to like it. New Atlantic League rule. <laughs> New Atlantic League rule. We play 365 days a year. Christmas <laughs> baseball. Let's go. Well, we're just going to see that if by the time that we just need the data uh, that if that if your pitchers throw 500 innings in a year, like do their arms get tired? Like we, we don't know because after all, uh, we, we kind of defer all comment to the Major League Baseball uh, since these are their rules and their experiments. That's the new rule. We want to find out if frostbite could be used as a foreign substance when part of your finger comes off on the ball. But how do you know unless you try it in a highly competitive setting Fair like the point. Atlantic League? Fair point. Then we're going to start getting these teams back in the Northeast if we want to try that out. Uh, That's true. Yeah. Or you just play all the games in the Northeast. Don't give them ideas. Do not give them ideas no. to play every game on like, well, Staten Island would work, Long Island would work. They'll just be like, yeah, we're going to expand to Alaska. But yeah, uh, Frontier League, got to finish this. Got to finish strong. Keep it together for like another 10 minutes so we can finish this strong. We can, do it. we can do it. Yeah. Probably the most important division, West Division, where you have like the three best teams in the league all in this division. And two of them are going to miss the postseason, and that's a shame. And Evansville has decided to play 500 baseball now, as well as Florence. And meanwhile, Southern Illinois won like seven of their last eight, and it's just gone on the war path and are like three games out of first place at the moment. Yeah, what a and this just speaks to how complete like chaos. I mean, the the Frontier League is just totally chaotic at this point, yeah. uh, and. And Evansville kind of, you know, they're kind of pedestrian at the moment as well as Florence and Southern Illinois red hot uh, to really get back in the race. I mean, don't I mean, them only being two and a half out. I mean, they are very, very much still in the race. And, you know, like, like the entire year, uh, they've they've been led by their pitching. I mean, this week, 236 ERA for them, for them as a team this week. Yeah, and they hit 318. That, and they hit and they hit 318. So we've we've said the entire year if they can hit of course they don't need to hit to this level but if they can hit 
um, to an average to slightly above average level, they're going to be a tough team to beat because that pitching has been consistent all year long. And, uh, and it once again was awesome this week and they, and lo and behold, they started winning. Uh, they started winning and thrust themselves right back uh, into the Western Division title race. And if, can you imagine if Southern Illinois – we all picked Southern Illinois at the beginning yeah. of the year. We're, not exactly how you draw it up, but if they were to pull it off, I mean, it would be it'd be absolutely insane. Yeah, although I will say Evansville did make a couple of big ads, adding Josh Allen, adding uh, Jeffrey mm-hmm. Baez. Those are two very nice ads, and if you look over the last seven days – You've already seen them paying dividends. And as a team, they're batting 279, a three ERA. They're doing what they need to do as a team. So it's going to be tough to get over Evansville. Florence at this point, I don't want to say I don't think they're going to win the division. But I, if you had to, like, gun to my head, I'd say they're the third best team in the division. I think Southern Illinois right now is just better. And how much fun I'd probably agree with that. Yeah, how much fun would it be if it was Southern Illinois versus Quebec for the final? Wow. Wouldn't that be fun? That travel would be fun for that. Oh, yeah. It'd be a lot of fun for that. But, I mean, like, that that would be the most baseball series. Just two teams that were pretty pedestrian for their own reasons, of course, uh, for most of the year. Southern Illinois was a lot of injuries and just not getting consistent play. As far as Quebec, I mean, they played two-thirds of the year on the road. That's a major reason. Then they just get hot at the right time when everything came together, and then they go out and play each other for a championship. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be so much fun. Yeah. Oh, and also, this starts Southern Illinois. Uh, if we're going to win this division, it's going to happen this week stretch, too, where they play Florence and uh, Evansville. Oh, boy. Buckle up. There's a lot of really fun series to watch this week. They're buckle, really buckle up. Like, that's the, like, I think we'll we'll probably wind up wrapping it up after this point here, unless you got anything left to add. Well, but I think really where we can find out who's going to win this division is when you look at who has what left on their schedule. Southern Illinois by far has the toughest. They have three on the road against Florence. They have three at home against Evansville. Then they play again on the road uh, for their last road series against Gateway. Then three against Florence and three against Gateway to finish the year. There is a lot of very difficult games on that stretch. They're going to really need to nut up if they want to win this series. Uh, Or if they want to win this division, rather. On the Florence side, Southern Illinois, Windy City, Joliet, Southern Illinois, Schaumburg. Not the most daunting schedule. Also not the easiest one in the world. As far as Evansville goes... Gateway, Southern Illinois, Schaumburg, Joliet, Lake Erie, by far the easiest of the three. Yeah. And, and while and while Southern Illinois has the toughest schedule, certainly, they have the they have what I'm trying to think how to word this, but it, it definitely would have it's the most direct way to the top. Yeah. Certainly. So they they I almost want to say they have the best shot just because of how playing games directly against Evansville and Florence really helps them. Uh, and so, yeah, record-wise, it is a it, it is a tough road, but you got yourself back into the race, and this this is the way to get to the top. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see we'll see if they can do that. It's going to be a fun week. They do have the I'd say they have either the clearest or second clearest path. For Evansville, it's pretty simple: play like slightly above 500 baseball and make sure you beat Southern Illinois. If you do that, 
you're set. As far mm-hmm. as Southern Illinois goes, it's pretty much just keep winning because your life depends on it. Florence is in like this weird quasi zone where it's like there's winnable games. The four against Joliet's very winnable. Schaumburg and Windy City also very winnable, but at the same time, Schaumburg is kind of a wild card. They play Southern Illinois a lot, who's definitely going to be fighting like hell. So I could see Florence falling out of this thing really easily, or I could see them taking advantage of that schedule if Evansville hits a rut. But yeah, either way, this is going to be one fun race to watch down the stretch. A lot of really good baseball this weekend and this upcoming week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So with that, I think we've covered just about everything there is to cover in independent league baseball this week. So I think we can probably go to the plugs and then uh, get out of here because I'm, when I'm going to be, uh, we recorded this in New Jersey. I'm going to edit this and upload it in North Carolina. And then when we record the next one, I'll be back in New Jersey. <laughs> so it's going to be, and a, I will be in New York yeah. How about it. See, we're just like globe trotting right up and down the East coast. So it's going to exactly. be really, really fun. Uh, but if you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at ALPB underscore news or at IndieBallReport. Be sure to follow all of them. If you want to find the links to the articles that we pretty much exclusively focused on for the first half or even two-thirds of this show, uh, be sure to check out the website, IndieBallReport.com. Under the show notes tabs where you'll find the links to those articles and all the articles and sources that we used uh, that were not our own reporting on this week's show. So be sure to check that out as well as any articles that we put up. So social media posts that get converted into show articles, they're on that site as well. All the episodes and everything and anything Indie Ball Report is on the website, IndieBallReport.com. So check that out. And be sure to like, rate, and review the show wherever you get podcasts. It's available. So if you're able to rate and review, be sure to do that. You're able to subscribe everywhere. So subscribe everywhere. That includes Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, uh, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and literally just about everywhere you can find podcasts. So with that said, do we have anything else left to add this week? So... On Wednesday night, the Dodgers and the Padres played a 16-inning game. Uh, you don't really see too many of them anymore because of the runner-on-second rule, which mm-hmm. I am personally not a fan of. I know some people are. I'm personally not. Uh, but it went 16 innings, and it was kind of fun. It ended out. It ended at about 4 a.m. Eastern time. But let me say this about this game, though. It made me realize how much I hate pitchers hitting. And I need to bring this up again. Because in on two separate occasions, because the Padres did a double switch at one point during the game, so their pitcher was in the five hole. Uh, they ran out of position players. And so on two separate occasions in extra innings, I forget these the number, like the innings specifically that this was done. But... Dave Roberts with the pitcher in the five hole uh, with a runner, I believe on third twice intentionally walked two batters in a row. And again, this is not the fault of Dave Roberts. I mean, it's smart managing. He walked two batters in a row to get to the pitcher with the bases loaded and two outs in an attempt to win the game. In both instances, the pitchers, um, I believe Joe Musgrove took a fastball down the middle. 
Uh, and like, I think Ryan Weathers struck out as well. So I have to say this, there was no, there's not been more clear that a DH is needed because you could say the DH isn't real baseball, but is walking, walking two guys in a row to get to the pitcher to hit with the game on the line. Is that real baseball either? Yes. Therefore, I, I don't know. It's not. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. No. It is entirely it, real wants- baseball because if we would have made contact and got a seeing eye base hit, the game would have been over. And that there was any chance of that? Yes. A, a reliever getting a hit? Yes. It's been done before. And it's that been means it's done a chance. before. Yes. I'm a couple sure. times. I'm sure dozens of times. The game is so much better with a designated hitter. And seeing pitchers hit with the game on the line is uh, not really that fun. I think I, it's I don't know. great fun, personally. It, it, it wasn't fun when they would just intentionally walk two guys to get to the pitcher and just have the pitcher strike out easily. And then the game just continued on and on and on uh, until until the 16th inning. And, of course, there were some big moments in that game that made it super exciting. But uh, the intentional walk to get to the pitcher's hitting, I, I am very excited to hopefully see next year Universal DH in baseball. That would be, that would be awesome. It'd be I a sin it would, against it, the game. Well, a sin against, it's also a sin against the game when you have relievers hitting with the bases loaded with the game on the line. Oh, that's just the way it worked out. That's perfectly fine in my book. I mean, it's the, it's the way it worked out with bad rules. Nah, nonsense. That's the way the game's meant to be played. If the pitchers would actually, you know, swing the bat effectively, then it'd be fine. They should focus on trying to hit the ball. Train better for that. I feel like that's not going to happen, though. Well, then they Especially should. Especially that. that. Especially now more than ever when got when kids are becoming POs like younger than ever. I mean that's that's definitely uh that's definitely happening. I think that's gonna become less and less likely. You know it's you know a universal DH is inevitable, Nick. Nonsense. We're gonna keep you holding know, out. You know it's regardless of how you feel, you know it's inevitable. In the back of my mind, perhaps, but even still okay. until it happens, it's not gonna happen. That's all. Well, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen next year, then. Well, then I'm gonna be done with Major League Baseball next year, then. We've we've gone around and around in this circle before. Okay, well, go go ahead, Nick. I think I've said what I wanted to say. All right. So my thing to add this week, kind of a two-parter. One, uh, Henrik Lundqvist retired, and then immediately he's going to have his number retired. I'm fully prepared to sell my kidney. So I could raise up the money for a standing room only ticket for that uh, number retirement. Uh, because I assume it's going to roughly cost the amount of one kidney uh, to get into Madison Square Garden on that particular night. So uh, part of, selfishly, I'm kind of happy he retired. So I never had to suffer through seeing him in a Capitals jersey. And I'm going to pretend last year never happened because it really never did. If you want to look on the back of like a trading card. So... As far as I'm concerned, Hank only played for the Rangers and Team Sweden. That's about it. And if you want to count for Lunda, for Lunda too. I'm fine counting for Lunda. Uh, so congrats to that. Selfishly, I'm happy he's going to remain a Ranger always. And I mean, it was kind of a foregone conclusion that no one would ever wear 30 again in New York. So happy on that front. On more sad news, uh, kind of like, I guess you could say really like the face of the Rangers for quite some time. 
uh, and Rod Gilbert had passed away. That's very sad news. Rod Gilbert is like, he was always kind of at the garden. Like, that's the one thing. Like, I feel like regardless of how old you are, if you went to like a Ranger game or just Ranger events at any point in like since the 60s, really, you had some sort of encounter with Rod Bear. It was always positive. There's a reason why he was called Mr. Ranger. It's a reason why his number seven was the first one retired in very similar fashion to Hank's, actually, like the year after he retired, if I'm not mistaken, his number went up. So it's kind of weird to not have him around. And so it's just, it's sad news to hear. And I didn't realize he was in his 80s. Like, that's the thing. Like, I'm just kind of used to him always being there. And it makes sense. He was born in the 40s. He'd be in his 80s. That's how math works. But still, it was just kind of kind of weird to see him pass away kind of unexpectedly. So sad news on that front. Kind of happy news on Hank's front and like a celebration of a career type thing. So that's just really all I wanted to add. And then uh, next week. I'm probably going to go into like my, my second passion for things that uh, are to add after the show in, in movie talk. So get ready for that. That's all I got. All right. Yeah. It's so, a good show this week. Yeah, I thought it worked out really good. I thought this was a really solid one. So uh, until next time, don't forget to play ball.